What's happening, weirdos? Oh my gosh. Val has to go soon, so she's only going to be here for part of this intro. But here we are. Here we are. You're in Montreal. In quarantine. Haven't talked to anybody. And we have we just had a lovely chat. I loved it. It's so good. Yeah, it's really nice because um earlier today we face I FaceTimed you and Leela literally stole the phone from me and kept walking away from me to try to talk to you by yourself. (laughs) That's right. Talking in gibberish. And I, I wish I could have taken a video, but she had my phone um, of her talking because she was like using these hand gestures and her facial expressions were so cute, but all you could see was just her forehead. (laughs) I know. It was like talking to my mom on FaceTime. You see from the nostrils up. Um, Well, I'm so glad that we're doing this, Mom. I'm so glad that we recorded it, and I miss you so much. I know you have to go to therapy, but this is a We Made It Weird. It's We Made It Weird 10, and it was awesome. So let's get to it as quickly as possible. Um, I'm excited that we have a new sponsor with our friends at Honey. I don't know if you feel the same way, but these days it feels like online shopping is the only shopping we really do. And that's why today's sponsor, Honey, that's where they come in. It's a free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and automatically applies the best one available at checkout. Automatically. Honey is basically your online shopping best friend. Here's how it works. You get Honey on your computer for free by going to joinhoney.com slash weirdo. That's how you show your support of this show. Honey.com slash weirdo. Then when you're checking out on one of its 30,000 supported sites, Honey pops up and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons for that site. And if Honey finds working codes, it'll automatically apply the best one for your cart. I recently found out about this. It's basically free money. It's incredible. I do a lot of online shopping. I bought a little uh, Bluetooth speaker and it saved me with one click, 15 bucks, which was incredible. 15 free bucks on something I was going to buy anyway. Honey has found it's over 17 million members, over $2 billion in savings. Honey supports all kinds of retailers from tech to gaming to fashion, even to food delivery. So it's simple. If you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's free and works with whatever browser you use. Get Honey for free. Go to joinhoney.com slash weirdo. That's joinhoney.com slash weirdo and show your support of this podcast. Or you could try our friends at Foria. Did you know that 75% of women still experience painful sex at some point and 80% of women experience painful menstrual cramps? doesn't have to be this way. Enter Foria, our newest pizza pick, with all the talks about embodiment and healthy sexuality. I'm so happy to have them on the team. They're on a mission to close the pleasure gap. Foria was the first brand to create a comprehensive product line addressing the sexual and pleasure needs of women with CBD-enriched arousal oil, lubricant, and suppositories to help alleviate women's issues related to painful sex, menstrual cramps, and even postmenopausal issues. It's 100% plant-based, like so many of the things we love on the show. It's organic with zero fragrances, additives, or synthetics. There's no chemicals in you or on you. Val and I first tried this. We tried their arousal oil, which is incredible. It's maybe their best reviewed, thousands of positive reviews. 
uh, for their arousal oil. We got it in a gift basket, and it is a total sex game changer. You can already be having great sex, but you can already have you can always have slightly better sex, or in our case, greatly better sex. You feel more in your body. You feel more connected and supported. You by the help of these wonderful plant allies, they take female pleasure to the next level. They enhance arousal and access to orgasm, making great sex even better. They ease discomfort, supporting and soothing pain during sex, which unfortunately is so common. It's the best stuff we found with a commitment to clean ingredients, organic and regenerative farming, sex ed, and responsible packaging. It's the real deal, guys, and it's amazing. It's not some weird edible cinnamon lube you get at some rest stop sex shop. Foria is offering a very special offer to you made it weird listeners get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash weird. That's foria, F-O-R-I-A, foriawellness.com slash weird for 20% off your first order and show your support of this podcast. Also, our friends at Living Libations, I'm, as you know, as we've discussed, I'm mindful about what I put in my body. But several years ago, I realized I wasn't being very careful about what I put on my body. Buying shaving creams and face washes that I thought were fancy and good because they were expensive and had French names, but they were actually linked to chemicals and disease and toxicity levels that were never intended for humans, made by companies that just don't care about us. I want to eat food where I recognize the ingredients, and I want my skincare to be the same. Enter Living Living Libations. I started with their ginger exfoliating scrub. That's a free pro tip right here. Uh, Always exfoliate before you shave. Makes the shave about a thousand times better. Not only is their exfoliating scrub natural and wonderful with pronounceable and recognizable ingredients, it's also the most exfoliating and powerful and gritty scrub I've ever found. I would put it up against any other exfoliating scrub, second to none. It's got plants and oils and extracts that are natural and work. It's wonderful. Then I use their Zen Shave, which is so clean and natural and moisturizing. You can actually use a dab of it as aftershave. Try using that doing that with some anonymous blue goo in a pressurized can. You go to the 7-Eleven. And then at night, I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer. It smells great, it feels great, and it makes your skin look radiant and wonderful and healthy. Living Libations, no matter what you're using, has a premium, natural, and wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare you're picking up at CVS. I, this is a great way to support the show, guys. They have big things. They have little things. You want just a little uh, thing for your eyes, for your body, for your face. We've even got Leela on their baby products. Lots of little things you can get to support the show. Lots of big things, too. Go to livinglibations.com. Use promo code WEIRD for 20% off. And finally, MeUndies. You guys know this. I'm actually wearing two MeUndies right now. I'm wearing a hot pink panda print pair of lounge pants for my PJs, and I'm also wearing a sushi and soy sauce, uh, kind of an aqua green pair of their regular boxer briefs. I love MeUndies. It's Halloween time. You should be feeling good and happy when you pick out your prints, and if they have skulls or uh, weird vampires on them to help you celebrate the holiday, even better. Does your, con- does your underwear make you feel confident? Does it make you want to jump your own bones? No, I think you should reconsider. A couple years ago, me and Val heard about MeUndies on another podcast, and we did a complete overhaul of our underwear and our PJ pants and our onesies. They're made from micromodal fabric, grow on trees, and it's the 
softest, best fitting, natural fiber, sourced from Beechwood tree underwear that we've ever found. It's incredibly light, cozy, breathable, and super soft. And you can even get a MeUndies membership, which I love because I get a fresh and new, exciting, fun pair of underwear delivered directly to my door because really who wants to get a questionable pack of underwear at your local drugstore? Not me. They have a wonderful offer for you guys, for the listeners, for the weirdos. For your first time purchase, you'll get 15% off and free shipping. They also have a problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, you can refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird for 15% off and free shipping. That's MeUndies.com slash weird weird and show your support of this podcast all right guys that's it i really hope you try a pete's pick as i always say that's really helpful to us in this time as this is the only job we're able to do so we really support uh, appreciate excuse me your support uh please enjoy the wonderful 10th oh my god we're in double digits the 10th we made it weird with me and sweet lady val get into it Hi. Hi. Oh, it's good to see your face. Even in this kind of sort of spooky lighting, this is the best place for it. And it's like lit from above. So I look like I'm going to tell you a ghost story. <laughs> or a reverse ghost story. You're supposed to light from below for a ghost story. Right. Yeah. You're going to tell me a, um, like a beautiful story. Yeah, just a, just a story. Human living people. And then when it gets ghostly, I'll, I'll flip upside down. <laughs> <laughs> like a bat. So that's it, oh, Bubba. I miss you so much. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. I miss you too. I know. This is nuts. This is nuts. nuts. This is nuts. For those that are uh, not keeping, uh, well, maybe didn't hear this last episode, the Tan France episode, I am in quarantine in Montreal. So it's uh, I'm alone for two weeks. Luckily, in, a, in a, a nice apartment, which has been nice. But you know what I realized, Mama? I won't get any sun for two weeks. Whoa. Which, as a vig, is where I get my vitamin D. I'll just have no vitamin D. <laughs> Wait, isn't there a Paris or something? Yeah, the photos were sort of misleading. I need to ask production um, if I'm allowed. Like, I'm such a like a rule follower and I'm terrified of being discovered breaking some rule. Here's two things, not, not to share what I'm scared of, but one I'm scared of somehow being disqualified and having to start over. You know what I mean? Oh, cause they're like, Oh, the Canadian government will be checking in on you. I've heard tell of such things. And I'm just like, okay, so they're not going to get like, I go out, sit on the terrace and get some sun. Right. And some like Mountie comes by on a horse uh, and it's just like, well, that's it. Uh, this is now day one. Yeah. So I don't want that. And then while we're always sort of in a state of not wanting to get COVID, I am, I realized after I got here, so desperate to be careful and not get it. Cause if I get it, I can't come home. Yeah. Did that, yeah. that didn't occur to either of us, I don't think. No. Not I can't just be like, oh, I have COVID. I'm going to go home and, you know, ride it out uh, oh. with my family. Or I don't know what I would do. At least be near you. And not only that, I'm just realizing we couldn't come to you because you can't get into Canada. Not just anybody can get in there now. You have to have like an artist's license or some kind of. Oh, really? Yeah. 
It was it was trickier than it usually is. I've I've come as you know to Montreal probably every year for the past like ten years for the festival, and then now for other things as well. And this time was more difficult. I we, the yeah. person we know who was turned away. It was because you can't go. You can't just go into Canada. And then remember, she got Disney or something, somebody to give her a license. So it's because you have whatever studio. Yeah. But they were, I guess, to their credit, hey, hats off, Canada. They um, they were very sweet and cordial, but uh, I, I did have to go through like an extra step. And um, you know, it's funny, Mom. I always have to laugh at myself. I'm always like, I'm an actor, like really hoping they think that's cool. <laughs> because if, you know, I don't know. I don't know if camera people or, or grips or whatever enjoy the same sort of ooh-la-la factor of like, I'm here to shoot a movie. And they're like, what's your uh, part in that? I go, I'm an actor. And I'm, like, yeah, I'm really hoping it'll... Uh, move things along it didn't it didn't yeah <laughs> there's probably a lot of actors coming right now Love yeah me. that's that's probably it it's it's a little sorry to talk so much up top but just to down we haven't been able to talk so this is sort of the first time we're talking yeah. well once on the phone but um i've only been here two days but uh <laughs> we're, we're talking like i feel like like if you cut to like the beginning of this where we're like hi <laughs> It's like, then you reveal that you've only been gone for two oh days. Oh my God. Yes. It's a lot for us. It is a lot. And it's, it's, it's been a lot for me, but um, we can get to that if you want. I, it, it, there's something very melancholy, you know, when we're just sort of holding up with our family and, you know, passing time with Lee, you don't really see the effects, but now like the small talk with the driver, for example, like you, you have, they sent a car and I like talking to the driver and you're talking to the driver and you realize you're talking to somebody whose business has been cut by 95%. And not that they bring it up. It's just, it's the, it's the undercurrent. And then you get to the airport and Disney, this is a Disney movie I'm doing has been great. And they got us like a little, um, like a greeter sort of service and then those people, if you talk to them, are telling you that they've used to do like a hundred people a day and now it's like seven. And you're just like, oh, I think those were the actual numbers. Oh. And then you get on the plane and it's like, wow, they're, they're, the reason there was no direct flight to Montreal was because um, there's so few flights and there are all these like hundred seater planes and even those aren't exactly full. So there's this real, I know I already said it, but melancholy where you're looking at the airport and on one hand, it's cool that there's no line at security. And on the other hand, when TSA was, um, you know, searching me or whatever, there was this like, thanks for being here energy. Like I was one of the few people they were going to be seeing that day. Yeah. And it really just changed the dynamic to like, I can't believe you guys are here. I'm here. Remember when we used to do this all the time? But it has that sort of sweet sadness of like, yeah. this isn't quite normal, right? This is like a ghost town or something. Weird. Yeah, because I'm also thinking of the times that you went to Montreal pre-COVID um, to shoot this this thing that you're working on. And it was like, it was like abundant. It was like- yeah. 
like time with friends and you were in love with the city and you were walking around. Right, and it, right. It was like snowy and... Oh, I was texting you photos of old Montreal and I was like, next time I shoot, which was this time. Yeah. Like, you have to come with me. And it was all set up. My mom we was going to... planning it. Leela, it was going to be in April and we were going to have like a yeah. little trip and yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then... Oh, sorry, mama. No, keep going. I was just going to say, the fu- I already told you this, but the funniest thing... It's such a fun shoot. Sorry to be so covert. When I can talk about what it is, I'll tell you. It's not, they're not, it's not something like a new Star Wars or something. It's just a fun movie, but it's not really announceable yet. Um, Meaning it's not like fan gossip. You know what I'm saying. Anywho's a woozle. I loved my first shoot so much. There's kids in the movie and I'm just hanging out with the kids, bonding with this like, little gaggle of, of between like five and like 11 year olds, just loving it. And then uh, Chris Parnell is in it as well from SNL. And I think I, I told some of those stories about the hilarious meal we had in Montreal and just so many laughs and just such good energy. And I know I'm talking a lot, forgive me, but it's like crashing. Everything was sort of on me and through me. And this was just like a pleasure to like be silly and have fun and, and, you know, relax in between scenes like I don't have to like go in a meeting about lenses or shots or whatever it's just like pure fun as an actor so when they asked me to come and they were like you have to quarantine I didn't even think about it I was like of course yeah um it's one of the great perks of of your wonderful love Valerie that I knew we could make it work that you know your mom could help with Lee and whatever it might be and that you would just be understanding of that so I ran it by you and then I said a quick yes and then I'm on the plane. It's like a 6 a.m. flight. And I'm like, I wonder if Chris Parnell is on this flight. Because I know it, there's only two flights. And I know we have to quarantine for the same amount of time. And I know we shoot on the same day. So I text him. I'm like, hey, man, you're on this flight. And I just get a text back. And he's like, yeah, I just told them no. <laughs> I, can't, I can't really do Chris Parnell. But he was like, I just told them I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's like... I'm wait. sorry. Oh, go ahead. Just like, wait, that that's an option? <laughs> that's it. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me to say, write me out of the scene. Yeah. Uh, but of course it's his right to be like, guys, 14 days for one day of shooting just doesn't make sense in his life. But I'm, maybe it's because I'm starry eyed. I like show business. I haven't been in that many movies. Um, blah, blah, blah. Also, I'm a writer. So 14 days alone means a lot of productivity for me. But like when he said that, and then I wrote back, oh man, I didn't even consider that. Ha ha. Good choice. And then I I didn't hear back from him. So he's just like, toodaloo. (laughs) Oh my God. See you suckers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I said to you, my love, I said, if you're in Anchorman and so many other great movies, maybe yeah. you don't need this one as much, but th- this is uh, a big deal to me. Yeah. Well, good boundaries, Chris Parnell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. May- I am going to miss him. He is one of the funniest, as I told you, he's just so fucking funny and so sweet, but I'll get to see hopefully some other lovely friends that we have. Yeah. And it does seem like it'll be nice. I mean, you know how much I'm missing like, friendship and community and um so it does seem like it'll be nice to be in an environment where you know everybody has 
been under strict rules and it's yeah. like they don't have COVID most likely it would be yeah. very rare. Uh, and to be able to like be in the space with people. And- yeah, that's right. I'll kiss the men. I'll kiss the beautiful women. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come down there and I'll kiss all of you. I'll kiss you. I'll kiss you on the hairy nipples. I'll kiss you on the small of your back, just above the ass. I'll kiss everywhere. It's going to be magnificent. It's turning uh, into Canada. Yeah, yeah. Which, it's like, going to be uh, magnificent. <laughs> it's so funny that like that is something, even though one of those presidents is awful and the other one is great as a president, that is yeah. something they had in common. They have the same job. That's a funny idea is putting oh, Trump's... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No. I meant that they would both be like, I'll kiss you. I'll kiss oh, you. Oh, that they would both say that. <laughs> I'll kiss whoever I want. I'll uh, kiss Marilyn Monroe. I'll kiss Jackie O right on the O. I don't give a shit. And I'm a little bit in the bag. I just think it's funny that they had the same job. And, and the thought that came to me was you could take Trump's kind of more off the rails speeches and put them in the mouths of like sort of iconic presidents is pretty funny. Yeah. They're saying I'm immune. I considered uh, briefly to put on a Superman t-shirt from the action comic books that premiered not that long ago, but I was talked out of it by my wife that I met on an exotic sex island. (laughs) Oh my God. That is so funny. (laughs) If you drink bleach, yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other iconic presidents that we could even do. Kennedy's really the only one. Uh, I don't know. They're showing that disinfectant kills it. Maybe people could uh, drink it or uh, inject it. Ask not what Clorox can do for you. Ask where in your body you can inject Clorox. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you really? I'm so sorry. I'm doing pretty good considering I haven't talked to a single person. You're doing a great job. Oh, I don't mean with riffs and stuff. I'm just trying not to steamroll because when I do take a phone call, I had a phone call with someone I barely know and I'm just chatting their ear off. I'm like a 90s bank teller. (laughs) I wonder if like that will change the longer you're alone because for me, if I don't talk to a lot of people it's like I completely forget how. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I, I, yeah, uh. <laughs> I hear that, but all I'm doing is writing. So all I'm doing is talking to myself. Sure. So that, that's my, that's my last and final update. And then I really want to talk to you, my love. And, but it, it has been so much. Uh, I start, you know, in a beautiful mind where he sees he, uh, Paul Bettany and, and the other, you know, phantoms in his mind. I sort of feel <laughs> like I'm hanging out with a group of specters in my head. It's not scary. They're quite funny. Um, but I'm constantly using my brain and to communicate. And I actually feel quite tired. And I, I did hit that goal that I set. And I think tomorrow I downloaded Animal Crossing. It's just, I can't get into Nintendo. It's just so like, help me find acorns. And I'm like, I'm 41. I can't help this fucking Uniglow caricature running around looking for bluebirds. I'm, I'm a grown man. Give me, some, give me a zombie to hit with a shovel. But I'll, I'm going to take a day off tomorrow. A day off because it's been that much work. That being said, Mama, I miss you. I love you. Tell me how you are. What are you learning? What are you thinking? 
What do you, how's, how's your life? Oh, well, I miss you too. Um, and I'm, I'm really good. Like I, I, other than missing you, I'm Mm. really great. I feel like I'm like swimming in feminine energy, um, which, you know, is, my favorite thing. That's funny because I'm having the opposite. Like all those movies and things that I try to steal while you're putting Lee down. Like I'm watching the Michael Jordan thing, which is so masculine and I'm watching action movies. So we're having parallel experiences. We make one whole person, you and me together. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I'm just now coming off of a call with my girlfriends where one of them is going to get uh, Alyssa is getting a C-section tomorrow. Oh, wow. And so we did like a little blessing way for her. And we, so we would like gave her a blessing and then we would dance to a song and then we would kind of take a break and chat and give her, and then somebody else would give her a blessing and then we would dance to a song. And mm. so it's just, it was just so dreamy and it, it's, Oh, it's like, I understand I would say my like clearest direct connection to God or m- divine mother or source or the universe is I'll just say one of them, but one of the like surest quickest ways to get there is when I am in feeling like I am in a sacred space with my closest women. Yeah. Like that the sacred feminine is just so... I envy that, yeah. Oh, it's so alive and so profound. And we're all, like you, when you're in love, basically, we're all kind of trying to give word, words and um, and meaning, or not meaning, but we're trying to, to give words and like comprehend this very real sacred thing that happens when we're all together, even when it's over zoom Mm. and none of us can totally explain it, but you know that all of us are feeling it. Mm. And it was just so beautiful. And my friend, Melissa shared like that we would, we did this. I led us in like the sisterhood meditation uh, where we had our left hand on our heart and our right hand on our belly. And she had been going through a lot of stuff and, uh, she said that she's been doing that just anytime she wants to like call forth us and our support system and our, um, and the energy that we create together and that she'll instantly feel it. Mm. And it really is very like Byron Katie and all of the people that we love where it's like, that's being created in you. So that's you, right. You don't need the actual people to be in the same physical space as you. I just read that this morning. It's like the only person that can teach you is you. You use the things that you hear, but it's when you incorporate them inside of you, that's the actual embodiment, the actual teaching. Absolutely. And it's, and I also thought of Jack Kornfield saying when Ramdas left his body being like, you know, Ramdas left his body, but when I close my eyes, he's right there. Yeah, that's right. It's like you can, and I've been trying to remember that with missing you. Like I can just close my eyes and I feel you. I can yeah. feel you whether we're speaking or not. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, we were sending that, giving that gift to her because, you know, it's, it's lonely to have a baby you're there's no your husband's there and your 
doctors and whatever, but like, you mean no to give birth, to give birth, to give birth. Yeah. No. Um, and I would say to give birth and like being postpartum, like no one is mm-hmm. in a circle, even though you're supported is like going through exactly what you're going through. Um, so just, we, we were like giving that gift of like, you can, you can call us at any time, not even literally like you can yeah, that's your right. hand on your heart and your hand on your stomach and like, feel. well, what's the difference? They even have brain data for that. It's like when you see something, I always use the example, if you, if you really close your eyes and think about cutting a lemon and then putting it in your mouth, you salivate. So there's really just very little distinction between what's visualized, what's thought of, what's seen on a screen even, and what is is real to you. So of course you can summon that up. That's really lovely, baby. Yeah, so that's really yummy. And then uh, I also am just sleeping in a bed with my mother and my baby every <laughs> night. Wow. And like, and, sh- and Leela is really doing what she does with us where she like snuggles me for part of the night and then she'll snuggle my mom for part of the night. And, mm. and there is something, s- I, I really feel that, as you know, I mean, we've talked about it, but I feel like my pregnancy, part of what was going on and, and you know, this is something that I think we'll m- maybe talk about later too when we answer questions, but um part of what was going on for me was I was having a lot of like flare ups of anxiety and like activation. I would be meditating and I would just have this huge flare of anxiety and dread and fear, but it wasn't caused by any thoughts that I was having. My mind actually felt really still and my body was just having these reactions and our good friend, David Nickturn um, suggested, and actually a lot of other people after him, who I trust like healers and Reiki people and a lot of people um, in this vein were suggesting that it was the energy of the feelings that my mom had when I was in, in her womb. And so I remember asking her like, what, what were you, what was your experience when I, when you were pregnant with me and, um, and like then putting it together that she had just lost a baby before she got pregnant with me at like Mm -hmm. five months. So she had had a miscarriage and then I started coming early. Like she started going into early labor at six months, right at the stage when her baby was, um, when she was losing her baby. Plus they, they moved from Texas to California, uh, and she already had another kid and she, um, so she was on bed rest for half of her pregnancy, uh, and on a medicine that they couldn't afford. They were on food stamps. Like it was just like, Oh, of course you were feeling so much anxiety, but she, because of her relationship with her mother, she was never allowed to feel her feelings because her mother was bipolar and very depressed and like, like in bed all the time. And my mom, there was no space for my mom's feelings. So she just said that to me actually the other day, she was like, people are asked, or she was talking to a therapist who said, you were never allowed to feel. So you just don't, she's so disconnected from her body and from her own feelings. 
Um, and she's doing a lot of great work to reconnect with that. But um, so all of that is to say my relationship with my mom talking about invisible energetic relationships we were in New York for most of my pregnancy when this was going on. So I wasn't even in the same space as my mom and I would sit and meditate and every feeling of anxiety I had, I would let it come up and I would say, thank you. When you're ready, I release you Mm. and let it live its life and then come up and out. And I felt like I was doing that processing for myself, certainly for my baby to try and, and not pass it on to her. So not to keep that energy in my body, but to release it. And I felt like I was doing it for my mother. Yeah. So I was like the bridge. And, and I felt just this, it's like an indescribable connection between my mother and me and Lee. Yeah. It's like a song you all know, you know, like your mom was singing it, then you were singing it. Leela will sing it. And even though it's the same song, you're, singing it differently you're correcting the pitch or the tone and and then your mom can hear that so it's healing the song that you share oh that's beautiful that's such a perfect way to describe it that really Mm. is i guess it's not indescribable um (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to prove you wrong really (laughs) all right you know what your masculine energy is really not (laughs) that's hilarious um but i so yeah, so anytime the three of us are in a space, I can f- I feel that. And I felt so connected to my mom through that pregnancy. Um and you just do kind of feel connected to your mom after you have a baby. You're like I'm I'm looking at Leela in awe just constantly like jaw on the floor of what a beautiful perfect miracle she is and feel so much love that it doesn't feel like my body can hold it. Mm. And my mom will say like, now, you know, and I just think like, that's how you were feeling about me. That's how you still feel about me. That's insane. Uh, Yeah. Um, I read, that's one of the things I wish I could sort of take back is I remember, um, who was it? Ryan holiday, Ryan holiday said, I remember because he laughed really hard. He was like, did having a kid help you understand your parents more? And I went, no. Uh, in fact, it made me more critical of them. And then that, what, that was true. But it, whatever is happening doesn't have to happen right away. You have a baby, you understand your parents better. A baby is such a glacial and, and gradual process that now I'm completely with you. And I think people have got, listened to this transformation on this show is like, I'm, I just slowly melted for them. And now, you know, I'll just catch my mom saying something like, Oh, I remember your dad used to make you scrambled eggs. And I was like, dad got up with us sometimes. And she's like, Oh yeah. Every other morning I was like, I just didn't even know that you can't. And I know my dad's got a big old mushy heart. He was cooking us eggs. He was loving us. Like his ability to express that in the same way that I do or you do that's an unfair standard to put on him. They yeah. were, and they are in love with us. This, this goes back. I was telling you that because of the work of Byron Katie, it's really what did it. I was realizing I was having a morbid thought. I was like, what if I die? And I was like, well, um, you know, you take a little inventory and you're like, of course I want to stick around. But then you're like, it's been good. And I realized one of the things I'm proudest of is, is healing that relationship. 
like I realized that that is a deathbed um, moment is you check in like, how was I with my parents? And I took over a decade kind of a hiatus from being really close with them. But if I were, if the light was fading, I'd, I'd have a lot of thoughts and I, and one of them would certainly be, thank God, because those people know, again, regardless of their ability to express it in a way that I want, uh, you should say it this way or whatever, they felt it. Parents feel it, even if they're completely blocked. Mine weren't, but even if they were completely blocked, somewhere in their core, I, I believe that there's that connection. Yeah. That's I really totally beautiful. Agree. And you did it while you were all still alive. Like, that's right. There's something really lovely about that. I mean, that's a gift, honestly. Yeah. I've heard that a couple of people, it might be Byron, Katie, that says they don't have to be alive to, to heal the relationship. But it is fun to be. I, I mean, just an update on that. Like now that I call my parents every week again, I did for a very long time, but I did it because that's what my mom wanted. Then I took a break. Now I'm doing it again. And the energy now that it's my decision is completely different. And just calling them every week and them knowing that I'll call next week has taken almost all of the tension. I would say it's taken all of the tension out because before it, it depended on their mood. Now you can just talk for 15 minutes and they're just like, Oh, I'm about to go to dinner here at TV blaring. Um, them knowing that you're going to call again. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but that takes so much pressure off the call as opposed to when I was calling once a month or once every two months, it was the call. It was the hour that I was giving them for those two months. So of course it was wrought with tension that I was creating, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? I was with you when you put the boundary of not calling every week and really what you did in that process too was you i don't want to say took the power but you you took the um power <laughs> um because i remember when you used to call your mom like you said you were doing it because she wanted you to do it and and it became expected it became expected so you i remember a couple times it was times in san francisco right yeah. yeah. You didn't call and you would get a text of like, aren't you going to call me? Yeah. And there is something a little bit about like taking a break and not doing it. And now it's, it's um, superfluous or mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's, it's a genuine. Call. It's a genuine thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking, going back to what you said about feminine energy, I'd love to hear more about that. It's funny. I tried to think of the male equivalent and I wonder what you make of, I have this resistance. I'm like, men are either going to get together and we're going to like, I feel like when men, spiritual men get together, we just sort of like affirm our sex drives. We're like, now that we're alone, boy, I'd fuck a refrigerator. Look at that freezer asking for it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then talk about how rational we are how practical we are, then maybe vent about how we don't have the same feelings as women have. Or that's option one. Option two is, and I hear myself sort of being a little bit off about this, it's either that or it's an impression of feminine spirituality where we are going to like 
there's going to be so much hugging and I'm going to rub so many backs while a bearded man makes his mustache salty. And, and you know, like it's, it's going to be so much like, I am a man and I feel that's where I know I'm probably a little blocked because there's nothing wrong with that. But I get douche chills if I think about a tender eyed uh, man sitting me down by a campfire and just being like, no man, don't deflect. What was that like? Your dad didn't go to your little league game. What was that? But for some reason, if it's you or if it's a woman, I feel more comfortable getting in that conversational womb. It's not, it's not really fair. I, I don't really know what the solution is for men. But when I think of you dancing naked in the moonlight uh, on a retreat with Lisa Gunger, I'm like, that sounds perfectly great. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what Michael and I would do, but it, it, it's not, it's not because it's weird to be naked, but we would do something else. It, it would, mm-hmm. we'd be in a sweat lodge naked. It would have to, would have to make some sort of endurance component. I think That's really, that's really interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up. I feel like a lot came up for me when you said that. Cause I, I think, well, first of all, let's just say, because I think it's valuable to, for our own minds. And so it's not even a disclaimer for other people, but uh, that it's, it's always helpful to think of these things in terms of masculine energy and feminine energy, because there are a lot of women who don't want to give a blessing to their friend and then dance naked in the moonlight together. Like that's that. And there are a lot of men who would, who would, and Gungi's being one of them. <laughs> no, I know Gungi's is not is a complicated example because I'm like he'd, he'd <laughs> yeah. do any of this. He'll fall yeah. at the moon naked in a river with you. He'll do whatever. Yeah. So instead of thinking of it as like this is what women do and this is what men do, it's like masculine and and feminine energy, yeah. which leads me to my next point, which is you don't have to. It's interesting that you said doing an impression of feminine spirituality yeah. because that is that point, like your block must be that you don't believe that that can be genuine. It's funny. I believe it when it's in me. And then if some other guy does it, I'm like, you see men doing this. I'm, I'm just trying to be uh, opaque, <laughs> whatever, um, or not opaque. I'm trying to be transparent so you can, so we can address this. It's like, it's a very common thing for men to believe that the sensitive spiritual guy is just another choice to get you um, attention from women, not necessarily just sexual t- attention, but that I think that's how most people would phrase it. It's like, that's just a, you're playing the beta male, you're playing the sensitive open guy, you're playing the acoustic guitar, you're wearing frayed jeans because you want the same thing as the guy with the Ford F-250 and, you know, the Patriots, whatever sticker, like they're after the same thing. You're just playing the hand you were dealt and you have like sort of off center eyes and a a wispy beard. So you're going to go the Deepak Chopra route. Um, But really we want the same thing. (laughs) Right. And that's the masculine. Well, and then we, this is why it gets so tricky because I was I was gonna say that's ma- that's masculine energy's interpretation of feminine energy. Yeah. It's just like men being like women are so unpredictable and emotional and and like when you're in that space, you're like that is such a like a severe 
understatement of what's happening, this is the most powerful thing mm. possible. Like mm-hmm. this is this is God it's, herself. <laughs> it's so powerful that, you know, I was a reenactor for the witch trials, so I know more than most about the witch trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think about Bridget Bishop, the first woman hanged in America, and and the women like her that were killed because they were often they were single into their 60s, which was strike one. They were like landowning and wealthy, which is strikes two and three. And then when you add on top of that, um, this, by the way, I don't have to say this, was their right. They were sort of, some of them, I believe, I'm not sure on this actually, but they were certainly accused of having like a freaky spirituality. And what is freaky? It's like a powerful... Like a group of women, it's the crucible, a group of women dancing in the woods with their vaginas are internal. Men's, we've talked about this many times, men, even their body parts are external and overt and sort of blunt and simple. And women are internal and sinking with the moon. So there's just like a heightened uh, spiritual, sexual primal power that they have. So even though we've created a mythology for women that they're supposed to be princesses and and kept away in towers, uh, and therefore they're like weaker, you get seven of them dancing under a full moon. And, you know, I don't Jean-Claude Van Damme or Stallone or any pick your strong guy they're going to be a little freaked out if, you know, uh, uh, intimidated by the, by the power, the raw power. It's like watching the tide move in and out. There's something very um, threatening to, to men, I believe. Well, I'm going to try to explain this again, because when we were sitting on the couch, I was trying to explain it to you and it was, I was botching it, but it's so... Oh my God, I remember you botching it. That's a fond memory. You were, you were I started, so tired. I was so tired. And I started by saying, I went, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this. And then for like what felt like a full minute, I just went, I, I, I so... Yeah. It was a great moment. But it's so apropos. It's exactly what you're talking about. So I'm going to give the simplest version and some of the facts are going to be wrong, but this is in a new earth. Eckhart Tolle talks about how women were once seen as powerful and um, masculine and feminine energy was more equal in people and, and it was equally respected. It, we understood the, the value that each energies brought and, um, and it was respected. And then he's like, uh, and then we don't know the exact, um, numbers and I'm trying, and I'm going to give a number, but I don't think it's wrong, but he was like, they're over a two to 300 period year period, tens of millions of women were killed by, I think the Roman Catholic church, uh, as like a, a, I don't know if it was witches, but it was like to prevent blaspheming. So it was just like women who loved animals, women who like walked in nature alone, women who had jobs, women. Remember how freaked out we were when Hillary Clinton was on a walk alone in the woods after she (laughs) lost the election? It reminded me of that puritanical phobia 
of women walking alone in the woods. Like, we don't like it. Keep them away from the berries. Keep them away from the streams. They're going to make some sort of concoction. They're going to meet a squirrel. It's going to become her familiar. She's going to send it to do her bidding. <laughs> like, that, that still exists. That's right. And it's so, it's so in, in line with what he's saying. So he was like, what was it that wanted to destroy and devalue the feminine? Was it the men? And he, he said, no, I mean, direct, not, uh, it was indirectly the human, the evolving human ego. So the evolving human like ego, the collective ego, the collective ego, um, knew that it could get a bit, it just wants to survive like any other being. Yeah. So it knew it could get a bit better hold on the masculine rat because the masculine is a rational brain and it's, and it's way easier for the ego to take hold of the brain. Once you are in your emotions and you're in your body, which the feminine more typically is. I'd rather take over a Kinko's than a Yankee candle. Let's just say it. (laughs) (laughs) A Kinko's, I feel like they'll let us take it down. Like it's okay. It's just present a rational case. Yankee candle, there's a bath running, there's wax dripping everywhere. Nobody wants it. <laughs> understand it. There's that fire that is beautiful but will burn you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. This one smells like jelly beans. This one smells like boot leather. I don't know about this place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. It makes so much more sense when he just he explains it. So really, just please let this be a trailer to. It's um, audible. <laughs> this it's audible. We'll audiobook. This. This audiobook will explain this esoteric concept way better. Uh, what time is it? <laughs> Same time. When Val and I watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan doc, which is on Netflix now, it's so good. That whenever they would huddle up the bulls, there was one guy that would go, What time is it? And then they'd all like, go, Way higher than you think. So high to offset the sort of gruff. You know, it's like you go like high, low. So I, we always laughed, not because it was high, but because he's the odd one out going, what time is it? And because it's high, not because it's like effeminate or anything. But just because it's like squeaky and funny. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Back off. I, I was policing myself and now I'm arguing with myself. <laughs> Keep going, my troop. Yeah. So anyway, to, to use your, I think that you are using the voice of the ego when you're saying like, even the, this guy is, um, is just trying to get women from this. This guy is, he's playing the role of the sensitive man. And if he is, that's also the ego. It's not, I guess what I'm saying is when you are in a feminine love fest, like I was, that is really just another way of getting to pure awareness of like, I recognize in you what is in me. And I know that you've gotten to that place. Um, But the ego, one of its many tools is to use gender normative things of Mm -hmm. like, that's not, that's not for men. That's too gooey. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. there's ulterior motives. And then it's also, you have the comp, the complexity of the patriarchy on you guys where you're like, we're not, 
We're not allowed to do that. And my father didn't do that. So I don't know. I would imagine to be a man with a very masculine father, it would feel like I don't know how to receive male love this You're way. You're really helping me. That's what it is, is I'm like, if some guy with gentle eyes and a denim shirt with snaps, a few of them unbuttoned, puts his hand on my back and rubs it and is like, it's okay to cry about your dad not coming to a little league game. What's happening is I'm looking for an imprint of that. And because it's not how my father loved me, my father does love me and he did love me, but like it reads as what's your angle. And, and then you just want to, especially comedians, you want to dissect it and break it down and figure out and expose the motive, which when I'm not in my ego, touchy-feely, Yankee candle sort of stuff doesn't bother me because I'm not applying a story to it and I'm not conjuring up a past that is really just a dream and I'm not forecasting a future that's really just a dream and an inaccurate one at that. I can just go, this is lovely. Someone is here for me and he's asking me to open up. But I mean, how many scenes in movies... It reminds me of the King's speech where he won't even, you know, go through the steps to learn how to talk because it's just too touchy feely until he, he's like, let's, okay, we'll stretch our cheeks then. And I'm like, even though there's a quicker way, which is literally by listening to loud music, which is making it impossible for him to tell himself the story. I am a person who cannot speak. Right. Wow. That's true. Wow. Trippy dude. Trippy. Trippy. Um, I'm also thinking of that scene with Buzzy and um, Josh in Transparent when he's like, you you never mourned your, the loss of your dad. Yeah. And, um, and he's just like, it's, and it's also goodwill hunting where it's like there in those moments that we, we see in movies, there is a, like he has to chip away at all the masculinity. That's right. All the ego and all the, the brain and the pain body until he can finally hear it's not your fault and like cry and embrace him. That's right. So there's a lot, I don't want to say working against you, but there's, there is a lot more rocks in the river for, um, I, again, I'll just say people with a lot of masculine energy. And that doesn't mean that masculine energy is bad, just in the same way that your ego isn't bad and your thoughts aren't bad. It's just, there is a, there's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You have the, the patriarchy, you have uh, heteronormative thoughts, you have your own tendency to be in your head. You have the mm-hmm. ego's grip on that specifically. So there's a lot to chip away at. You know, it's funny. Um, Buzzy looks like my, on Transparent, two things. One, the, th- the moments that are most moving for me on Transparent aren't when Maura like, gets a new hairstyle or, or starts to look more on the outside how she feels on the inside. It's when she's free enough to go up to a mirror and lean on it and dance. Like Those are the moments where I'm like, oh, she's, she's finding her safe place, her own, she's not just finding, she's creating her own self place, safe place. And then the other thing is going back to reinforce your point about my dad, uh, again, love you, dad, you did a great job, but he didn't model that sort of um, hyper uh, transparent sort of love model that we're talking about. Um, 
Buzzy looks like my old, my like second grade, third grade music teacher, a man named Nick Page, um, who I believe was, uh, he might've been Jewish. I'm only mentioning that because Buzzy's Jewish and he was very large and bearded and therefore I'm more open. If the man wanting me to open up looks like Buzzy, then I'm more likely to do it. This is sort of like the real life application of there's this fear in Hollywood. If you don't book a part, something actors will say is maybe you look like the ex-husband of the casting director. Uh, and, and that bleeds into real life too. Mm-hmm. Your therapist, Ramdas says that his guru Maharaji reminded him of his father. Byron Katie, I've said, looks like my mother. Um, Ramdas looks like my father. I tell the story in my book of how he transformed into my father in front of my eyes, which is incredibly um, life-changing and strange and wonderful. So like, it's one of the, we're back to this conclusion that you and I, Val, have come to many times, which is like, look, we're stuck in these things. No, stuck is a bad word. We're in these things. We have a psychology. We have a past, even though it's a dream. Um, let's work with it. So if you find a teacher um, that reminds you of somebody that you like or that, that means something to you and that opens up your heart, who cares? This even brings us to the very notion of God. It's like the image that you choose for your metaphor for the divine is a very personal and loaded thing. But the reason why Richie Rohr says you can't fall in love with an energy he's sort of saying the same thing. Like as much as I like going to a crystal shop or a singing bowl from time to time, you can't really fall in love with that blue light. Uh, You can fall in love with a a guy named Jesus. You can fall in love with a guy named Buddha. You can fall, like it's easier to fall in love with Muhammad. Like you can, you can touch them and and they, it's the mystery allowing you to touch and fall in love with it by taking the form, the exact form that you needed. That's how badly what we're all looking for is also looking for us. It will keep sending you things until your heart breaks in the good way and lets that light in. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that's so beautiful. Wow, I love that. And that is like, as you were saying that, I was having like, not, uh, yeah, I guess flashbacks or flashes of all of the moments that I have felt very connected to God. I'm going to say the word God, but you know what I mean? We'll bleep it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh yeah, you were a sunrise. You were a tree. You mm-hmm. were a mother. You were Beyonce. You were, uh, <laughs> you know, you were a, like a man in the sky with a beard. Like That's right. All it, of That's right. Things- it was chasing you however it could. Not even chasing you, it was being you. It was showing itself to you as you threw you in front of you and inside of you. Yeah. Uh, boy, I just thought of, oh yeah. I, I just read in this Katie book, A Thousand Name for, for Joy. She says, even the thought God, it all stops and manifests in time. As I create God, I have created not God. You can substitute anything here. With the thought tree, I create tree and not tree. The mechanism is the same. Before you name anything, the world has no things in it, no meaning. There's nothing but peace in a wordless, questionless world. 
It is the space where everything is already answered in joyful silence. Ah. It's almost a shame that it's a book. You should get a postcard of every paragraph of her books, one a day. They used to do that. They used to carve very profound truths like hate is a lack of imagination. They'd carve it in wood and have a student carry it with them, something difficult, for a year. Because one of the problems, and I see this, I follow so many spiritual things on Instagram. Some of these things are not intended to, none of these things are intended to be scrolled past. Remember we were in that store and I saw that there's the quote from Hafiz and they said, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, look at how the sun loves the earth. I'm going to cry. It's like, it gets nothing back in return, but it shines on it every day. He's like, look at what a love like that can do. It lights up the whole sky. And I was like, oh God, that is something we should carve in wood and carry around for a year. That is just the whole thing. Yes. Oh, Oh, I'm just like basking in and feeling that, like feeling into that space. And it is like we always say, it's it's always there. You are always there. If you are like, you know, if, t- you know, two hours from now, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I was feeling so in it and now I've lost it. Like that's the only thought that's keeping me from being there. That's right. That's the thought that kicked you and me away from each other, even though, we are apart, which actually brings us, do you mind if I, it's a perfect, just got a text. Hey, Esmond, would you fill out the census? <laughs> the census is deeply needed because you think I'm Esmond. <laughs> um, let me find the right one. <laughs> so- <laughs> uh, I should just say like, sure, my name is Esmond Nunez. Where is this question? I want to, it's... Um, we have a lot of good ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking too. I'm a looking too. Okay, so the question basically that I haven't found it yet um, is like, how do you, Val, it's a question for you, cope? This um, person, I'm paraphrasing, but they said, I'm in a very loving and affectionate relationship similar to yours. And, um, oh, here it is. It's from Jessica. Jessica Lee. excuse me question for we made it weird i'm in a very close and loving relationship much like yours and i struggle with codependency she graciously didn't say much like you guys (laughs) (laughs) my bf travels for work and it's gone monday to friday and sometimes it's really hard for me to cope my question is for valerie who you're right is so sweet and how she deals or dealt with the feelings of insecurity and or abandonment while you are were traveling for work also, I just ordered two more tubs of Calm Gummies. I hope you use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19. The landing page doesn't work. KEEPITCRISPY19 works for uh, CWHump.com. So she's <laughs> loving her Calm Gummies. I love that. So well, that, that's a good way to cope. Um, yeah, she's off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead, my love. That's for you. Wow. It, how perfect that I'm on. I mean, it feels like I've been gone for a month. I, I and I'm, guess what? I look like Jack Sparrow. I'm talking to the paintings on the walls like Anna in Frozen. It is, and I hate to say this, but like it's two weeks from today because it was, uh, six, it's 16 days and we kept being like, you're gone for two weeks. You're gone for two weeks. 
and you've already been gone for two days and, and now starts the two weeks. I have two feelings about that. One, overwhelm, and two, we, this is boring, but like there is a part of me that's like, no one's knocking on the door, no phones are ringing, I can just do whatever I want. The problem is, and we always come to this, you, I'll speak for myself, I am not the best person at determining what I need. Valerie, your role in my life has always been, let's go to the beach. When a, a man like me who can write a script and sell a show and this and that, all these special things to give myself some love or good things, will never on a day off say, let's load up the car and a diaper bag and towels and sunblock and drive to the beach where we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know who will be there. But you, time and time again, have booked the Airbnb, got us to the beach, and as soon as I get in the water, I go, oh, right, I am not the authority on what Pete needs. I am not the authority on what Pete needs. This is the beauty of finding your person or even just a good friend or, or even just an email service that tells you what to do on a Thursday <laughs> that I just invented. Um, oh, man. Sorry, well, I went on a tangent. It's funny that I went to the beach yesterday with my mom. That like, <laughs> I know, that's what I thought. I was like, look at me. I, I, I can be a great empowering power uh, force in our relationship. And I can also be a, a bit of a cock block from time to time. Well, I will say this though. A lot of the things that I want us to do, my codependency wouldn't do it without you. So even though I'm like, let's, you know, go to this corn maze is the only thing I could think of. Doesn't that yeah. sound like something I would want to do? It does. <laughs> Emily Gordon wants to go to a corn maze on Friday. And it's like, don't we want to hang out? I don't want to be looking for Kumail in the stocks. <laughs> and if you were just like, no. But I, I do. I do desperately now that we're in quarantine. If you did say you are so good at being like, I don't want to do that, but I'm glad, but I know I'll be glad if we do it. So let's do it. But if you say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not yet to the point where I say, okay, well, I'll see you when I get back. (laughs) Which is true. Which I, and I know that about you to address Jessica's question about codependency, hopefully in a good codependent relationship, or let's be honest, I'm being funny, in a relationship that leans towards codependency. Yeah. Meaning, let's not be too hard. I don't want us, you and me, Val, to be too hard on ourselves. We, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. So to counteract some of the codependency, one of the tactics that I've done, and I do think it's healthy because I'm transparent about it, is you'll say, let's go to a corn maze, and I'll just say, that sounds great. Yeah. Is, is that my truth in that moment? No, and I'm all for speaking your truth, but I'm also for having some subtlety and some nuance and some forecasting and some appreciation and awareness of, I am not, uh, I know that Val, one of the ways she loves me is she will not force me to go to this corn maze. I know if I don't say that sounds like a great idea, we won't go to this corn maze. I know she really wants to go to this corn maze. And four, I know I will love this corn maze if I get my corpse to the corn maze. <laughs> yeah. If I can drag all of my psych- all of my nose psychology to the corn maze, Valerie and I will have a great time. So I I I withhold the full truth or I manufacture a truth based on a future attitude that I'm not positive will be true and I actually think that's a very loving thing to do. Yeah, I receive it as love for sure. Um Okay, but to go back to Jessica's question, which I I absolutely love because 
I don't have this one figured out. I, I will, I am happy to share everything that I've learned. Um, but this is like a prominent, I mean, pre COVID this, you, you were touring. Um, so this is a very prominent, um, and touring with Lara, who I'm only pointing this out, added a difficult thing because when I'm bringing a friend in the place of what used to be you, obviously yeah. we both love Laura so much. So, um, so it's great that it's her. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, and when it was Chris there, it's just like there's someone else coming along and there would just sort of, to bring us back to that space, there would be like a, me and Laura just went to the Hard Rock Cafe text just to keep in touch or whatever. Mm. So I I feel like that I would always be sort of conflicted. I want to stay in touch, but I also don't want to rub it in that Mm. I just had an impossible burger underneath a framed photograph of Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, that actually, I think it's worth taking a moment with that because you're reminding me that that was challenging because I, the element of before we had a baby, I used to tour with you, which I feel like we often think of, or at least I do in, um, lost and transparent when he's talking about his marriage falling apart. He's like, you know, I used to translation. I would like to see lost and transparent, but that would be be wonderful. (laughs) Whiskey works. (laughs) Um, lost in translation he he says like you know his wife used to go with him on and they would make fun of all i hate that you're linking these two things that is horrible but yes i hear you and then he's like and then we had kids and she couldn't come and you know and and i think i did and do still have a fear of i just like this image and i know you share this fear for me so that i'm not alone in it but just like this image of of me like having like two screaming babies in the, in the, at the house and like feeling so disconnected and vacuum being, cleaner riding itself <laughs> just goes yeah. by in the background. And just being like, I used to put on like high heel boots and red lipstick and go to a comedy club and like be charming. And, and now I'm just a mom, you know? Right. Um, so, so there was that added a whole other element of challenge to it where we a big part of our relationship was that I would go with you on tour and I would listen to your set and I would write down any new riffs that you wrote and I would report give me lines too and I'd get you sure and I would like uh help you with your stand-up and that was something that we shared and um and then we would sleep in and we would get room service and we would I always walk. think of the day where didn't we watch the hobbit like just some long bad no, it's not bad but it's not great but uh i i actually like the hobbit i don't know why i said that um just remember that day like just some just a white bed and room service trays and the hobbit and that is definitely i i would trade a million of those for literally one day with lee but yes um, there yeah. is a there is a morning there for so sure. There was a morning to that, and then, and I would say there was a morning to that when you went on your first tour when Lee was just born, and then the second time around, Lara became a part of this, and and then like that, just knowing that that was happening, that you were having this experience with someone else, it's not like a jealousy. Like, are they romantic? It's just like a God. I wish I was there. It was like serious. FOMO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
I do remember a challenging time for us, which we would say this for Laura too, because it's not about her personally. What I remember it being challenging when I did go with you to, I think it was Nashville. Um, and I didn't know anything about your set. I remember sitting in the green room with Laura. Oh yeah. I would laugh so hard. And I was like, is that new? And she's like, Oh, he's been doing that like a couple times and she would be writing down your new riffs because Brutal. I this is like a low part in the movie. It's like the Nick yeah. Drake music starts and we push it on you and it's sad, but you don't want to tell me what a, what a sad moment. Yeah, it was sad. And I think it's okay that it was sad and it's no one's fault and every, everything is totally fine. But, um, but yeah, so that that's, it's definitely complicated for that. But also it's complicated by the fact that I realized once I was alone with you or without you that I have like, on top of um, codependency, I have, if it's not trauma, I think it is trauma uh, about being left alone because I was a latchkey kid and it wasn't my parents' fault. They just, they had to work a full-time job and I was only alone for 30 minutes, but it started when I was six and and I just have a lot of memories of mm-hmm. being very worried until somebody got home. And then even if my mom ever left, I started doing that thing that I think kids do of being like, my mom is in a car accident and is definitely dead if she's like mm-hmm. 10 minutes late, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, ha- I, just, I just really have a hard time being alone. Uh, and I still do. And it's, I've gotten a lot of practice and I've worked on it. Um, and the way that I work on it is by really making sure that I'm in my parent self and not my child self mm. when you leave. Um, and if I am in my, because it, I can really feel the difference now. So if I am identified with my child self, the feeling is I can't be alone. What if I, how do, like, what if I don't know how to take care of Leela? What if something happens? What if somebody breaks in? What if it's just like, you can really identify it because it's like how a kid would think. Mm. Um, and so if I am in that state and I'm really stressed and worried about it, I will, um, I will be like, okay, can I find the voice of my parent self here? And then have that voice comfort my child self. And that really puts me in into the role of remembering that I am a 31 year old woman that I have done a lot of things Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, and I'm very capable. And um, so just the act of nurturing your child self in that moment will put you in your parent self. And sometimes I don't have to do that. You'll go away and I don't have to do that. And sometimes I have to do it like every hour. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's something that I constantly work on. And then I also really plan support. So there, if I'm feeling really strong and in my parent self and I've had some practice of being alone, like you've been gone a lot, I will, um, I'll be like, okay, I think I can work on this. So I won't, I'll plan to have some nights alone at the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this situation, I was like, okay, we haven't been apart for longer than two hours in six months. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to have my mom come 
And then I covered the days that she wasn't coming with the option of having someone else stay with me if in case I feel like I need that. So there is just a lot of like, there's a lot of work ahead of time before you are alone to, to get your mindset straight and to get your external, make sure that you have support externally. So get in touch with your inner parent and plan for support. And plan for support. And, and then just the act of doing that is, is something that you can reference and point to of like, look, I can take care of myself. I can be alone because I took, I took care of myself. I got ready for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say for me, it's, all, it's usually the hardest when you leave the first day and with each day I will become more and more acquainted with my independent self. Right. We talked about that when I was leaving, that it's usually easier for me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I told you when I got to this apartment, I was like, I, th- I think I said out loud because nobody's here to judge me. I was just like, I feel like I won a contest or something. It's like, especially in a quarantine, you're like, hey, Pete, the hardest thing for you to get, even though you need it to write and whatnot. Here's some alone time in an apartment and the fridge is stocked. I mean, there's lots of people listening that are like salivating that are like, that sounds like fucking incredible. And it is. And then after like the door closed and locked and I was upstairs and I hadn't eaten and I was very tired, the enormity of the undertaking sort of hit me, which was unfamiliar. Cause usually for me at the beginning, it's just I can sleep in. And then three sleep-ins later, I didn't even sleep in this morning, Val. I woke up eight hours. I just woke up. And the novelty wears off. And then I start going like, okay, I, I miss my home so much. Not, I, I feel like you were going to say this too, is that with Lilo, like we've been FaceTiming with Lee, uh, and... Um, I, I've been concerned that sometimes like if I get up, speaking of writing, sometimes I'll get up in the middle of the night and I'll start writing something down and she'll sometimes freak out because I left the bed. And I was like, what if she has like real night terrors because I'm not there? And then you were like, we're both so pleased that she's doing great. She's so strong and she's so brave. I love her so much. And it's like, that's wonderful. And we both talked about it. Like, yeah, she's in the moment. Like dad was there. Dad's not here. And without the story, um, there's less suffering. I know people who've even lost a family member and the child was okay with it in this sort of eerie way to grownups who of course understand the story and and the person said to me, they were like, yeah, the kids just like, well, sometimes people are here and then sometimes they leave and had like a very, very Byron Katie sort of like, yeah, nothing is, uh, I get it. Nothing's permanent. Sometimes you're here. Sometimes you go. I get it. And here we are. Very, very interesting. And probably understand going back to what we were talking about, probably understand that you don't exist to her. You don't exist in that physical body exclusively you also exist in the memory of dada and the stories of dada and like and the way she's kissing and hugging the phone it seems that she she was trying to get me to dive in the pool to get her i think something because she'd go down there down there and that's yeah, usually what she yeah. says when she wants me to get something in the pool 
So I think it would have been acceptable to her understanding of reality if I dove out of the phone, (laughs) picked a rock off the bottom, gave it to her, and then went back in the phone. Yeah. Um, So she's just, uh, she's got a different thing. It reminds me of Eckhart Tolle's thing. It's one of the funniest parts of his book. It's in The Power of Now, where he's like, we have such an easier time understanding the Tao, the way of the universe, when we're watching, like, nature. When you watch planet earth and a deer dies, you, you can instantly, it, it really is instant. You can feel sad that the deer is dying. I always do. We skip those parts. We're usually stoned anyway. We don't want to see that shit, <laughs> but you can understand like, ah, the circle of life. Elton John starts playing. I swing on a Tarzan rope into the Lion King, all the movies. So he says like, when you see a goldfish die, you don't feel sad. You just go, this goldfish has run its course and that is natural and now its body will decompose and it and those elements will be repurposed into perhaps another fish perhaps an orangutan's toenail um and we get that but he goes in his Eckhart Tolle way he goes but what if I told you the fish's name was Harry (laughs) and I printed out a little document telling you when it was born and where it was born and who his parents were, and how he spent his days. And like what he's illustrating is the story creates the suffering. I understand that it can be very cold. I sometimes see or I guess that Byron Katie is in tricky spots when people are going through great suffering, because from where she's sitting, it's the story that's causing the suffering. Um, and that that can be a very cold and difficult thing, a seemingly well, cold thing. Yeah, because there's a um, an attachment to the story. Of course, I I am not there. If something, I don't even want to give a hypothetical, but like I am still arguing with reality. I did it on on the plane here. I argued with reality. You know, my yeah. my my seat isn't comfortable enough. I can tackle those. I can go, this is the dream I'm having. Big fucking deal, Pete. Like, should, let me know how you do when your car is towed and you really needed to get somewhere. You know, like, and then, and then we'll get to the real biggies. <laughs> yeah. And with the real biggies, I think it takes compassion for the story before you let it go. Like, mm. I don't know. I, I think that I completely agree. Yeah, you, you, we've talked about this. Sorry, baby, keep going. Oh, please round us go mourn some more like we don't have to spiritually bypass our feelings if we're not yet masters that's not what katie calls herself but i'm saying there are people eckhart tolle byron katie that seem to have that constant equanimity almost an in superhuman level of calm if you're not there yet i i actually think kind of paradoxically one of the ways there is through it not around it not faking it not pretending you know you've been with me through some disappointments and you know the the deadline articles are about the achievements but there's the disappointments as well the things that never lift off and this goes away and this comes in and this goes away and you've always really helped me in honoring that like like j duplass on transparent somebody needs to say the way out is through the way out is not around it. We've seen John Wayne 
leaning on the saloon. I was just thinking about how in cowboy movies, no wonder they're shooting each other. They're also dehydrated. I've never seen them drink anything except whiskey. And when they're not drinking whiskey, they're drinking coffee. I'm like, of course you had to carry a gun. You're miserable. <laughs> and you're just eating beans all day. You're just happy <gasps> and dehydrated. And- <laughs> you're in the desert and I don't see a single canteen. Oh, I always. I'm going to write it down. I always think about how gross their feet must be. Oh my god! I just watched this the the Sisters Brothers. I don't know. It's on Hulu. Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. Hey, I'm a cowboy, and <laughs> um, you you got to check it out if you like westerns. It's so good. Um, so sorry, baby. Are you writing a bit down too? No, I was also looking for another question. Oh, go ahead. Um, All they drink is coffee and whiskey. They're dehydrated. Go ahead. um, This is an easy one. Cooling Callahan um, said, I've been wondering, oh, I've been loving We Made It Weird and wondering if you two will ever be on Moshe and Natasha's Endless Honeymoon pod. That's Which fun. It's really funny. The answer is yeah, if they invite us. <laughs> ah, hilarious. We love I, them, sweet friends. Yes, I, I love Moshe and I. I feel like are closer than our relationship is. And Natasha is. A I feel bit, that way about Natasha actually. Yeah, Natasha and I. I think deeply love each other when we see each other. I love Natasha too, but I've spent more time with Moshe, so I think we have the same thing going on with this couple. And where I know, I just did this with Moshe. I I texted him or called him and it had been three, four months since we had talked and there's never any like, where you been? And that's what's great about comedians. But then the, the other side of that coin is, you know, we haven't asked them to do this podcast and they haven't asked us to do ours. And as impersonal as us not asking them to do this one, I know so is them not asking us to do theirs. But yeah we could all do a little bit better. It's going back to like, we're not always the best at no, at, at, I'm speaking for me. I can't speak for them at knowing what would unlock more joy. Of course, having Natasha and Moshe on the podcast would be joyful. And sometimes you need somebody to be like, Hey, you should do that. So I, let's, um, I'll bother Moshe and see if we can do it. Yeah. I love that. I have a fun one. Do you want to okay. hear it? Yeah. If you, if you got, if your life was a monopoly board, Val, what were what would your pieces be? You know the the, you know what I'm talking about? Like the yeah, like the there's car. like the car and the yeah. So it's just like what pieces represent me? Yeah, your life. That's a really fun question. It's um, from Michael Bodine. Thank you, Michael Bodine. How many thank pieces you, are Matthew, there? Again? Matthew Modine. I'm going to thank him for gross anatomy. <laughs> Um, how many turning down back to the future? Can you believe that? Um, sorry. Um, what would the six game pieces be? Feel free to answer together as separate and feel free to throw some spaces on the board as well. Love you. Thank you for the pod, your comedy and your thoughts on mindfulness in your book. What a nice message. I love good, great emoji choices, Michael. Um, some I people love, really have a gift for emojis. I love some it. people really have a gift for gifts. <laughs> I know. My mom has a gift for gifts, which is so funny because she, I, 
I'm like afraid that she can hear this, even though I'm in, like across the property. As you record it to a podcast release <laughs> to thousands of people, I hope she doesn't I, hear this. She, I'm just going to say this and then I'll tell you off, off mic what I was going to say. But um, she, she just like will tell you she has a difficult time speaking. <laughs> She is hard. She has a hard time with words, with like communicating. I just gave her, I sent her some alpha brain because we were texting about that on com slash weird if you're nasty. And it is. um, (laughs) That's the perfect laugh to give a a baked in unnecessary. Well, and it's the second time you said I was going to bring that up. What was the other one? The the calm gummies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Look, this is our livelihood right now. Please, please buy a Pete's pick if you're even curious. I just, <laughs> we'll take mild curiosity for calm gummies or alpha brain or me undies. Come on. I just told my mom that you have to do all the hard part, like dealing with um, the, the ads and the Pete's picks, and I just get to yes, sign up and talk to you. That's very sweet. It, during COVID, it's been very tricky. I, I sort of, um, I have more compassion and more understanding for my friends and for all the listeners that have like a, a more straight job because now I know what EOD means and all these, all these things. I know what a CPM is. I, I always get off these Zoom meetings and I'm like, meetings are crazy. It's, it's like you get on, you talk, you, you, you're productive for like the meat of it. And then there's the goodbye. And I'm like, most, so many people, so many Americans spend their entire day doing things like that. And I'm just like, and I have to do one a day. And I'm like, what is this rat race? I'm like, geez, Pete, check, check your, your blessing, I guess that, that I don't have too much of that. But during COVID, I, I do feel like I sort of have a job. Yeah, you really are hustling. Like I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. Um, okay, wait. So there was a couple things. The piece, Monopoly pieces, yeah. Monopoly pieces, but I feel like there was something else. Oh, my mom. Is oh, good. I'm sorry. That yeah. was that was the finale. Sorry, baby. For someone who's not great at, at words and struggles with like a lot of grammatical errors and spelling errors and texts, when she discovered gifts, it was a mitzvah for the whole family. Yeah, because it, it chills in a blank. She'll do like nuanced things. Like, I, you know, there's like that great one of Kermit the Frog just giving like a very subtle kind of disapproving look. Yes, yes. <laughs> How did she find it? What did she type in? Yes, she can. She's a master of gifts. So Speaking gonna... of, sorry, I, I love this. I just feel like this is so what family is. My brother who I, even if I hope he hears this, I think it's very funny. I think he, I sometimes catch him still putting my dad on a pedestal and like admiring him. Like, like we did when we were little boys, which I do from time to time too, because my dad always texts to T O O for all the uses of two meaning as the infinitive, as well as the, whatever the, the T O O. So he'll write like, I want to T O O check in or whatever it is. And I was like, I said that to my brother. I was like, don't you think it's funny that my dad, that our dad texts too wrong? And he was like, no, that's just in texts. Dad's a great writer. And I was like, and just like in that moment, I just was, was like, so you think if dad wrote us a, a handwritten letter, suddenly the twos would correct themselves, thinking that he would then laugh and realize 
wait, of course. No, it's just, who cares? It's just something he didn't learn. I mean, like he didn't, he didn't have all the advantages of us. We, he didn't go to college. He didn't have all that stuff. So who cares? I don't give a shit, but I also don't delude myself and be like, he's infallible. He's making a little mistake. And I'm like, you wrote a letter. You think it corrected? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, wow, boys and their fathers. <laughs> Hashtag boys and their fathers. Okay, so your Monopoly pieces. Um, okay. One of them I... would be a little pint of ice cream. I mean, it has to be. Okay, sure. Yeah. If I can pitch you one for you. Well, I was going to go deeper with that, but okay, sure. I'm, I do have a sweet tooth. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> um, I'm trying to out you. One of them has to be Brody for both of us. Um, well, but then it's like, then you get into like, if you're going to have your dog, you have to have your child. And then if you're going to have no baby in Monopoly, but there is a dog. Is there? I'm sort of trying to keep it to the, to the, to the trope. Well, okay. Well, I'm just going to tell you what my answers were. And then you could be, I can make cute answers like this red hat cap that I always wear. Yeah, that's perfect. There's a hat in Monopoly. That's a perfect one. Um, so are we, but we're not picking like things that are actually in Monopoly. Cause I'm, no, I, I mean, I'm enjoying, uh, sort of comparing them to the real pieces, but I don't think we have to grade them. They can be whatever they want. Cause so I was going to say a moon. I feel like, a like a moon is very, helps my, I have a tattoo of a moon. It's like my, a lot of my connection to the feminine, the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say a tree because I, often find God in trees. (laughs) See, these aren't as good. I was going to... Why do you say that? These are great. Oh, I do think... I just saw this. I do think like a pottery mug. (laughs) Yeah, your coffee mug. I love a good pottery mug. I want that one for me too. I want that as well. It's just so comforting and... Fantastic. You love your new mug. We just we were watching the the Great Pottery Throwdown on HBO Max, which is like Great British Bake Off, but for pottery. You're welcome. Yeah. It's way better se- season two, but season one is great. It just gets better as it goes, um, and more like GBBO. Um, but we even before that, we would go to a local pottery place and buy like a mug because your mug. You know how like they find the Dalai Lama, the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama, by showing you possessions of the previous llama and the child identifies them. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I love that. So let's say the Dalai Lama wore glasses. They'll put out seven pairs of glasses, but they'll also put out things like his walking stick or his watch. Or um, And I realized that we used to have more, and in parts, certain parts of the world we still do, have more tokens. Now it would be five iPhones with different wallpapers, but like this speaks to the human and almost the spiritual need for, for tokens, for amulets, for like things that you bond with and your morning coffee. For me, I know I used to have a joke. I don't drink coffee. I know, I, since I stopped drinking, I, I love coffee and buying like a, a a mug. It sounds wrong to say a custom mug. Of course it's custom. It's handmade by a potter, but just having a mug that's yours, that would be one of the items that you use to find the reincarnated Pete or Val. So I, I want that in mind as well. Ah, and that also made me think that like my little palm stone that I have. Yeah. So anything where like 
you have to feel it. So when I pick a mug, I think probably everybody does this. I like will hold a bunch of different mugs. That's right. You're like the Dalai Lama. Yeah, to find the one that like fits my hand just perfectly and that I energetically relate to yeah, or like. That's right. And then I do, I do that with, I don't, we're not super into crystals, but there are certain ones that I can get into. And I recently bought a palm stone, which I really recommend for everybody. You don't have to believe that like crystals have healing properties to, to understand that if you hold something that feels good in your hand that came from the earth, that's going to make you feel grounded. Yeah. Kind when of. We, when we go on our hikes, I always pick up a smooth stone and just hold it. And it just feels so good to get a little Byron Katie about it. A stone is a holy thing. It doesn't change for anything. Like you, it, it lets you throw it. It gets rained on it. You could spit on it. You could yell at it. It just stays consistent and grounded. I, I can feel some of the listeners being like, you could pulverize it. And that is true. But even that, it would stay. It's, it's bits and pieces. There's something and really beautiful. those listeners, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Don't be that guy. Are you having a Joe Rogan experience? Don't do that. <laughs> That's not what this is. Don't, uh, no offense to Joe. I just meant it was very masculine, very powerful. <laughs> Um, I also, to get Eckhart Tolle with it, he says a crystal was, is an enlightened rock, or you could argue that a flower is an enlightened plant. A crystal is an enlightened rock. Because it's beautiful for no reason. It's beautiful for no reason, which is the next evolution of that thing. And with rocks or with crystals, it's really cool because it's like the densest thing started to become more transparent and lighter and, you know. And attractive. Yeah. If you think about how flowers, part of their conspiracy of beauty was to attract bees in a, in a brilliant, unbelievable, um, what's a good word for, <laughs> I don't want to say conspiracy again, but a beautiful plan to reproduce. Mm. So they become fragrant for bees and bees pollinate and then spread them around. I mean, it's just sometimes... Yeah. That's all you need to to dip in. And really what he's pointing to is the fact that like what our relationship to beauty is, is a sign of the evolving consciousness. Mm -hmm. The fact that beauty doesn't have anything. You can't eat beauty. You can't fuck beauty. You know, I mean, you can, but you can't really the concept of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't even like, fully um devour it like it's it's something else it is out it's outside of the human experience it's mm-hmm. transcendent um so yeah so okay so a mug a palm rock your hat uh my hat my my red beanie um a pint of ice cream <laughs> I just thought it was cute. You like a little ice cream at the end of the night. I do. Um, I guess like a dancing woman, a naked dancing woman. <laughs> I want that one too. <laughs> I don't know. Yours are so good. I, I, I think we'd have a mic stand and then also a podcast mic. So two mic pieces. That's going to cause some family squabbles. I'd also like a singing mic because yeah. I... 
<laughs> That's beautiful. You could also have your ukulele. I think ukulele. We could. We we're we're a real Neil Brennan. We have three mics now. Mics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ukulele. I think that's great. I think we did answer that yeah, question. I think we did too. I'm not going to spend too much more time on it. Maybe a Batman uh, mask. There's a, like a deeper one and then I have a, a lighter one too. Um, so she, this is from Cass Boatwright. Hi Val, we made it weird cue for you. How do you guys navigate convos with your Christian slash parent, par- pastor parents, <laughs> your Christian parents? Uh, I'm a PK of two pastors and have found it difficult not to get emotionally charged and stay feeling grounded in myself when discussing the hot topics, politics, anti-racism, theology stuff. It's so tough to translate the feeling of oneness and non-judgment when it is in the context of family. Well, you really said it all there. That's right. Uh, Maybe it's just gentleness with myself and practice. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts. <sighs> well, I feel like you're going to have better answers to this. I, I also, I, what I can offer is that I also struggle with that. And luckily my parents, the conversations that we've had about anti-racism have been really going really well. Um, and they're doing a lot of work around that. Um, so I don't really have to like correct a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still get anxious when it comes up. Of course, me too. My stomach flips. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, and as far as like the oneness and beliefs and all of that, my brother is such an incredible like uh, linebacker mm-hmm. <laughs> where he really takes the hit of those things. And he engages in those conversations with my parents and my relationship uh, with my parents is often like, mm, let's not talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about the things that we relate over. Um, I think that's a great, I don't think avoidance is a bad strategy. I definitely, I definitely favor it because yeah. it's like you and I say, it's like, who cares what Pete thinks? It's like what Pete thinks isn't real. It changes. I'm more interested in what doesn't change. And if you can get into that frequency with your parents, you'll find a little bit more ease. Everybody's having their own dream. And some of us are dreaming that we have racist beliefs and and backwards politics and backwards ideas or whatever they might be. A lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of ugliness. But just for fun, let's imagine that we live in a world where just as I was saying, the teachers that we need, the, the love of the universe is chasing me through Katie, obviously through Yuval, through Leela, through Ramdas. Those people are also being seduced by the divine in their own way. Their lesson just might be baked into a broken heart that comes from having an ugly belief right now. Like that lesson might not make any sense to us and it might not be pleasant for us and it might be very backwards but like think about the times i think about the times i've been wrong and i've been broken because of ugliness or hate that i had secretly living in my body mm. i can't limit something as vast as the infinite mystery to only nice sweet messages <laughs> like sometimes mm-hmm. it works with 
the nasty bits too. There's that verse in Isaiah where, where I love quoting it, where it says, I, the Lord, your God, I bring prosperity and I bring darkness. I, I think it's it, a, a nice way of framing that is to say, it's all in the game. Everybody's having their own illusion. Everybody's having their own dream. And just as a thought experiment, I encourage myself to consider that everything is working towards that person's um, realization equally, even, and they're making my blood boil isn't, as Katie would say, isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. So even that discomfort towards their ugly parts is my karma to burn off, to get a little bit more free and a little bit more light. That being said, I do want to say that the biggest fight I've ever had with my family that is going to be a traumatic memory for the rest of my life came from my mother prodding me about a Hanuman, which is a Hindu God statue in my house being next to a statue of Christ. And out of nowhere, really, when I, I had never had something like that happen in my life, out of nowhere, I immediately lost my temper and yelled at my uh, mom a little bit. A yell for me is probably like a six out of 10 for most people, but it was still a raised voice and a lot of anger and a lot of rage that just boiled up immediately. So I completely understand. But sort of to my point, that brokenness that came from my father being disappointed in me, my mother being hurt by me, me being hurt, scared, broken, everything that came from that sort of negative sledgehammer, I don't think if that hadn't, ha- if that hadn't happened, I don't think we would be where we are now. As Leonard Cohen says, and we always quote, it's the cracks that let the light in. So I think all of the ingredients, not just the sweet ones, but the bitter ones, the salty ones, the sour ones are being used for a purpose that may not be resolved in this lifetime, but you have to look at the whole thing like one whole body. Maybe Uncle Ron does die a bigot and an ugly, angry person. But if you look at the whole collective dream, I think it's undulating towards uh, awakening and awakening through pain and awakening through ugliness, as well as awakening through beautiful conversations like the one we're having and and these beautiful questions. So I I think it's all there. Um, I don't have it figured out, but if you try to go, how can I be mad at them? They're my dream. I mean, that's, that's a good way to help. Or also, how can I be mad at them? They are at, they are as conscious as they can be. That's right. Like Eckhart Tolle also says, uh, he talks about having a traumatic childhood and he, he goes, uh, it was no one's fault. Everyone is just acting according to his or her level of consciousness. That's right. Just like one sentence and you're like, Ah, wow. Okay. (laughs) It's like the parenting. Can I be mad? Hate is a lack of imagination. We said it earlier. And judgment is a lack of imagination. Can I be mad that my father didn't sit me down and rub my back when I got divorced and and said, I I understand. Please talk to me. You're safe to to cry and be angry like I want to be here. He didn't approach it that way. Okay, let's say I am mad at him. Can you imagine 
a, a celestial screening room where I sit down in a big lazy boy and a screen drops down and I see the film of my father's life up into that moment, somehow condensed into one earth hour, but I see all of it. Can I understand then when I see his relationship with his father, when I see his father's relationship with his grandfather, when I see what it was like in Somerville in the fucking seventies. Yeah, you're goddamn right. Get a better imagination. If, if you're angry, that's that. I always say it's that David Foster Wallace, what is water graduation speech, which is worth watching once a year. It's on YouTube. Some of them are set to music. Some of them are acted out. I recommend all of them. Where he's like, you, you get cut off by an SUV and you're mad at them because they're some rich douchebag. And he's like, for all you know, that was a woman who was in such a traumatic car wreck that her therapist told her, who prescribed her to drive a Land Rover because it's the only way that she would feel safe. You don't know. We're back to Katie. Is it true? That's a rich asshole who cut me off on purpose. Is it true? Is it true? Yeah. I think that's so good. And, and to add to that, to take it from a different angle, um, let me start by saying the thing that we always quote is Ram Dass saying, if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. So just for this person and for anybody who relates to this, which I have a feeling is everybody (laughs) just know that you are not alone. There is something it's, it's gotta be like not a accident that our family, our families are the final frontier. It is the hardest part for everybody even for jesus prophet in his hometown why do you say that's my mother why do you say that's my brother this is my family i'm not saying jesus i i am saying in my belief of jesus he did work things out that's what made him human is that even he had that chafing when it came to a family accepting somebody waking up yeah so i want to to add to I mean, this is probably known, but I think it's important to to think of it in terms of this. As children, we understand that our parents are absolutely critical to our survival. So it is encoded in you on the deepest cellular level to want their approval. You want it starting from the most basic primal need to survive and then you start to develop it and need it from, you know, on the emotional level and, um, and on the mental level. You, like, you, it is probably the most profound, deeply rooted concept that we all share is that we need approval from our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is probably why the... Um, conversations are so emotionally charged and and that's why your outburst at your mom that's where that's coming from is a child being like see me understand me i don't want you to prod about something that you might not approve of because to to me your disapproval is death it's an act of violence she said how do those two don't those two things contradict each other and i said um I said, I tried. I was like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it or something. And she was like, explain it to me. And I was like, I have explained it to you, which is true. 
And she goes, explain it again. And I go, mom, it's okay if it doesn't make sense to you. This was me trying to be above it. And I was like, meaning I don't need you to understand my beliefs. I thought that was like a beautiful, like if you have different beliefs, it's okay. My mom, of course, took that as I don't care if you don't understand me because you're not in my life. So now she's incited. I'm incited. And then she says, explain how Hinduism and Christianity can get along. And I realized in that moment, I remember the voice. I heard the voice, like the Birdman voice. We don't need them, Reagan. Like I heard it say, I wrote a book about it, a fucking book about it. (laughs) And in that moment, all of the pain that I realized I had written a book not exclusively, but in large part to try and get my parents to understand me. And then in that moment, knowing that she had read it and that we were no closer to seeing eye to eye was absolutely, was absolute death and heartbreak for me. And it came up in this bubbling toddler, like I wrote a fucking book about it that I couldn't, and nobody in my family, I'm the golden boy. I'm the sweetie in their eyes. Like nobody had ever heard that tone in my voice. And it was because of that exact thing. Like I didn't feel seen and it broke my heart that like, not only that they didn't know, but that they didn't know me, but realizing that I had written the book, hoping that they, that they would read it. Now, I'm not saying I wrote it for an audience of two, but they were on my mind when I was laying it out. And then when my father read it and he was like, Peter was never an atheist. There's a part in the book where I'm an atheist. He was like, Peter was never an atheist. So seeing a, a, a resistance and a denial of, of my story, um, even when I put it in black and white, I thought if I could, because it's hard to get them to listen, my dad specifically, it's sometimes hard to get him to focus. Um, thinking putting it in print because he would read books would finally get to him and to see in that moment that it had failed that I was still a new age weirdo to them but then to add on top of that a I don't want to call it a failure but like I did lose my center as we would say I lost Mm -hmm. I lost grip um was just like a very I mean humiliating meaning it humbled me It, it it was a good thing ultimately But it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And so there's just so much room for compassion here because you're dealing with the child. You're dealing with your child self. Mm -hmm. And if you really just get curious for anybody when there is an emotionally charged conversation happening with your family, if you really get curious and you probably have to do this after the fact, but once you get curious about that one, you'll have plenty of opportunities to practice. Um, If you get curious about what that charge is, you usually find something loving. So you, you find a child being like, I need you to understand and see me. And you have parents who are like, I am desperate that I'm losing my child, mm-hmm. that, that there is going to be such a fundamental difference, as fundamental as our perception of what reality is, that that divide is going to be, that chasm is going to be so wide that I will not 
ever be close with my child again. Mm. So this, so because of these stories, which aren't true, um, but feel very true, the stakes couldn't be higher. Mm. Of are they as high as they could be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so of and and they couldn't be higher because of the love that is there. So I I often find this where if I can get sometimes I will be in a space with my mom or my dad where for whatever reasons I am having this intense longing to connect with them, and it's not I'm not being met with. Um, a receptivity or it's like, we're just on different frequencies. I was going to say the same frequency. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not on the same frequency and I can't find them. I find comfort in knowing that there is also something in them that it is longing to have the same level of connection with me. Mm. So even if we can't really find the connection, just knowing that there's like, both parts of us are like reaching out for the other one. And it is kind of sad when you can't find it, mm. but that's something that you can connect over is that you, you want to connect. That's right. <laughs> so it's almost like a zooming out of being like, wait a minute that we can get tangled in the details of, well, what is it that you, exactly that you believe and. And probably your poor parents might, I don't know, maybe they think that, that, that you'll go to hell if you don't, if you don't believe in Jesus. Like, what can you imagine? That's so Katie right there. He's like, um, somebody in one of her books says, she says like, um, you're not gay, you have a disease. And Katie, I mean, imagine someone saying something like that. And Katie walks them through it. She's like, she's trying to help in her, <laughs> in her reality. She loves you and her belief is that you have a disease. That's very hurtful, but that's what's happening. And in her level of consciousness, she's, she's trying to be loving. So that's a very extreme example. But, but when we're, and obviously, clearly, I'm not a master of it. If you can imagine you're both talking, but like with the What About Bob poster, they're shaking hands, but in the shadow, they're strangling each other. In reality, we're shouting at each other, but our shadows are reaching for each other, trying yeah. to connect. And it, I think, Val, that's something I'll do is if I ever hit a rough spot, you're so beautiful to share this, just to remember that we have the same goal. We might just be fumbling through it, but yeah. if we can stop, call it out, truth is always so powerful to say, like, I think we want the same thing. You know, what's powerful is can we start over like I think I I think I messed up the way I said that. Can we start over? Like the first time I met your parents, I said something about inherited Christianity, and it would have been so great if I had just been like, "I'm so sorry." Can we just start over? I think I I think I came off on the wrong foot here. Yeah, and you didn't without saying that you you guys did have a reset. We're good now. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually so I think that's the first piece, and then also it's the parenting yourself thing too, which is my therapist says, you know, you'll always have that longing to be seen, understood, um, and fully accepted by your parents. Everyone will always have that longing. There's really no getting rid of it. Mm. So you just honor the longing and you love and nurture that longing. And when you do that, you find that you are, 
you can be the parent that you you need. And so, yes, there is some, I would say my, my lack of conversations with my parents who I would say, I would say both of them would say, we would love to talk to you about this. So it's not that they're avoiding it. It's that I am. Um, it started from a place of really not being able to handle how activating it was, which was a self love decision. I was like, I don't really need to put myself through this. Mm. Um, and now it just doesn't feel really needed. We're connecting on the ways that we can connect. And Mm -hmm. I would way rather put my efforts into connecting in a, on a finding a frequency that we both have Mm -hmm. than trying to convert each other or trying to, you know, or force something that's not there. I, I started this pod by talking about how great it's been calling my parents every week. And it turns out that might be the best expression of our relationship a nice hour phone call on a Sunday is wonderful. When we're together, the whole, it's like suddenly you're playing tennis underwater or something. It's completely different. It's too many hours. Like, I don't know what's going on. So I had a a consideration during this quarantine where I was like, should I try to go see them? It's been so long. Should I try? And apart from the whole COVID thing, I was, I had this epiphany where I was like, what, what are you doing? Things are so good. They're already good. Just let them be good. Like you want to go home and like suddenly ski a black diamond when you're just finally mastering the bunny slope. So I just want to green light what you green lit in me, Val. And then I green lit myself as well, which was like, you also don't have to push it. If you want to avoid a topic, avoid a topic. There's nothing unholy or unrealized about going, look, I know where to put the traffic cones to keep us out of these certain areas to keep things loving. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, how is that different from me alone in this apartment not watching paranormal activity because I don't want to have weird nights? Like, yeah. it seems the same to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I really feel that. And, and I'm also holding the nuance of specifically like having set the goal of I want to call things out in my family when there are um, like racist or um, ignorant. Can you lovingly nudge people in another direction? Yeah. I want to lovingly just point out. And, and luckily I have a family where if I said, you know, that's interesting. I actually just learned that that's white fragility or whatever that they would receive that. so, so there are, it's all just like so nuanced and a dance of the moment. And I also won't bring that up in that moment if it's already heated or if I am feeling very small and scared or so, so just, there's just have flexibility and take it, no, take all of this stuff with you, but it's such a moment to moment. Oh Yeah. I'll I'll text you footage of me blowing it with my parents. Yeah, it will happen. I mean, my mom is here and we're doing good right now. First few days, but like it might happen where I'm, I just, but I will say what I have been practicing is I'm like co-parenting myself with my mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it, there, there are, have been a lot of times where I can feel myself reaching and by reaching, I just mean small things like, um, like 
do you want to sleep in bed with me and Leela, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she'll say yes and do it and it'll be great. And then there are times that I reach where it's, I just feel more of like an energetic reach where I just want her to be like clear eyed and fully with me. And I'm, and I won't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not her fault. That's the level of consciousness. She's dealing with the level of, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, so in those moments when I reach and I'm not getting what I want, I have been like, okay, well, parent self, can you, can you provide that for child Valerie? Like, mm-hmm. can you reach? Mm-hmm. And there, there are some things where it, unfortunately it's like, there is no substitute for your, for your mother. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of ways that you can parent yourself. And then, and then moments where there is no substitute for your mother, uh, just like, lo- just love that, love that mm. pure kind of bittersweet longing. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to spiritually bypass, but I do find value in if you were a singular consciousness of God and you wanted to split into millions and billions and trillions and trillions upon trillions of different things Mm -hmm. to experience everything. When you're in that dread, remembering that you, the architect wanted to know what it was like to feel, even in my low moment, to feel the exhilaration of rage (laughs) Um, with my parents in the same way that you and I like watching TV shows where people blow up at each other, this singular consciousness that we call isness wanted to play every game. As Michael Gunger says in his great book, if you were infinity, what game wouldn't you play? Yeah. And being frustrated with your parents or being lonely in quarantine in Montreal, I'm just saying (laughs) random example. Yeah, hypothetically. I'm actually doing great. I'm going to walk around naked after this. Um, J- JK, <laughs> am I? Um, just just be the eyes of the universe doing whatever it is you're doing. So we're two hours, Mom. I know you got to get going. Do you want to? I have one silly question. Hey, look, okay. my mom texted me. Let's see if I can put it to the test. Are you settled into your little apartment? I hope it's comfy, question mark. We're having a summer day again. We just talked about the weather, see? You're not getting a shock to your system, are you? Blah, blah. Please call when you can. I feel like I didn't get to talk to you as long as I wanted to. I like texting. But you've spoiled me calling every week, and that is what I long for. <laughs> Take oh. care of my big cat. I love you very much. I'm telling you, it's the summer of George. Wow. It's the summer of George. Yeah, it's so sweet now. I have a silly question to end on unless you have one. Well, um, yeah, no. I, I want you to say the silly question. And then I have a really sweet poem that I think will uh, just do the poem. Well, now we have, time. we have time. Okay. This is from Russell cook. Hey, you magnificent weirdos love from Massachusetts. Love from Massachusetts. Silly question. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm losing my ability to do voices as I'm unsure what humans sound like anymore. <laughs> it's been two days. <laughs> yeah. Silly cue for y'all in the movie of your life. We've answered this part, but I like the second part. Who do you see starring as you? both and who do you have directing it much love and immense joy to you all thank you i just like the directing question i think mine's really easy and kind of obvious wes anderson can you you guess i wish i would love that i'm not cool enough for that though it's not wes anderson Mm -mm. i think actually ours 
are connected. Who I would pick for you and who I would pick for me are those people are connected. Oh, you want Maya Rudolph to direct yours and P.T. Anderson to direct mine? No, I I guess we're, I wasn't looking at it as like, who are your favorite directors necessarily? Who's just going to, who are your favorite directors who also feel like will get the tone of what you're, Mm. you are. What is, Um, what is it? What is is Greta Gerwig? Oh, of course. Jesus. And mine would be Noah Baumbach. That's what I thought. Yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) I didn't even realize mine would be Noah. Noah Baumbach already made a movie about my family, which is called um, The Meyerowitz Report. Except we don't have a sister, except there was this like third energy that is somehow perfect. The sadness in our family was sort of perfectly captured by a depressed sister that we didn't have. Totally. But the way they don't listen to each other in that movie, yet they love each other. It's like you said, they're reaching for each other. It's just a perfect movie. And Lady Bird really, even, even though some of the details aren't exactly my experience, they are really, she yeah. really captured the feeling. of. And Frances Ha too. There's so many moments that remind me of you in her female platonic love relationships and also sort of that girl woman that has certain values projected onto her, but underneath it, she's goofy and, and, and funny and brilliant. And, and sometimes when she flies to Paris and she sleeps the whole day, I, I, yeah, I see that. I see that. I love every part of you, but I see that um, in you as well. Absolutely. And I would say to compliment myself, another attribute of Frances Ha is like somebody who has this like somebody whose skill sets aren't necessarily and traits aren't necessarily um, appreciated by the Western world and society and a lot of the population but it has this like magical spark underneath that some people are going to see and some people are just that's aren't. Right. And that's always been the case. When we watched uh, Annie Hall, we were like, oh my God, Diane Keaton became um, Greta Gerwig. And I don't think she bit her style. I Greta think, Gerwig became Diane Keaton. Well, there was Diane Keaton first and then Greta Gerwig. Right. Yeah. I thought you like, were, Yeah. She's the, she's the new Diane Keaton is what I'm saying. I see what you're saying. Yes. And I think she was informed by Diane Keaton in the same way that I was informed by John Ritter or whoever it might be. So um, there's always been people like that. But what I see happening more and more, it's also because of where I live, living in New York, living in LA, you start meeting more and more of the Diane Keatons because they tend to flock to the coast, yeah. the coastal elites. That's not to say that South Bend, Indiana doesn't have dozens of Diane Keatons, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Well, this, that question. this was wonderful. I'd love to hear the poem. Yeah, I'll read the poem and we can so keep it crispy. And then I want to talk to you off mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this, um, leave the meeting and then I can save the file because I'm doing this on my own. And then, then come back. Give me, give me a minute and then come back and we'll do the intro. Okay, I'll leave the meeting. I have to pee and then I'll come back. And Perfect. Talk in an obnoxious way that we wouldn't want anybody else to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So this is called Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye. Should I put on your poem music? Yeah. I think... 
Yeah. Are you going to do Gymnopini? Yeah, of course. I think that'll work really well with this one. To people who are asking, it's called, just type in Eric Satie, E-R-I-K-S-I-T-I-E into Spotify. It's the first song that comes up. Ready? Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Really feels apropos of what we were talking about too. Yeah. And I picked it before, so it was meant to be. What a beautiful choice. I love you so much. I miss you so much. I love you and I miss you. But also you're here with me and I'm not just saying that. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, me too. Good. That's, it'll be fun to like check in with the podcast. Oh my God, check, check in next Friday to hear <laughs> my descent into madness. Yeah, and then we'll have another one even after that. Now, <laughs> I, just, I almost think it's funny that I can feel myself not fully grasping the length of this. Well, that's my coping. I'm just like, just, just one moment at a time. Just, just yeah, and that's right. And today we're good. That's right. Right now we're good. Absolutely. Well, let's say keep it crispy. All right. Keep it crispy. <laughs> keep <laughs> Bit crispy. Bit crispy. I love you. I love you. Okay, see you in a bit.